Leviticus, you would have realized we never finished that series. And I don't know how many of you would have realized that, but we never finished it. And, and we were, as I was thinking about when to actually finish it, I thought, you know, this is a good week to finish it. And you'll, it'll make more sense next week when we look at the, um, the series as we wrap up our series entitled Moving Day. But we wanted to take some time. I wanted to take some time this morning and just wrap that series up for us. Most of you know that I'm a, I'm a distance runner and it's something I really, really enjoy. And when I talk to people about it, they say to me, oh, I could never do that. I could never run, run long distances. I could never do things like a half marathon or marathon. And, and I usually tell them it's all in the training. It's all in the training. The training for a race is actually harder than the race itself. Than the race itself. You know, when I talk to my son about playing football, he's like, oh, Dad, that was a brutal practice. Rarely does he say that was a brutal game. Usually the games are a lot, you know, they're hard, but they're often there's a lot more enjoyment, there's a lot more fulfillment than the actual practice itself. Because one of the things that you do in training and in practice is you, you prepare yourself physically and mentally for the experience of what's about to happen. So you prepare yourself when you feel certain pain. You don't stop unless it's other kind of pain, but you learn to run through and deal with certain pains. And you realize, if I keep running, oh, that pain just disappeared. And if I would have stopped, I would not have continued on. You also learn to train in um, when you're tired and when you're fatigued, and you learn to run through that. You also learn how to train and run in various types of weather. I remember this last training cycle back last fall when I was preparing uh, for the marathon that I did. Um, I was scheduled on a Saturday to do a, a, about a 20-mile run. And I always look at the weather before I'm supposed to do, before I'm supposed to do a long run to see what the weather is going to be like. And I was watching the weather. It was supposed to rain. So I was, I'm like, please clear up. Please clear up. Please move through. Please be wrong. I woke up that morning, and it's just pouring outside. It is just pouring. I did not want to take one foot outside that door. But I thought, you know what? If, if I don't do this today, when marathon day comes, if it is raining on that day, I won't be able to do it. But I walked out the door, ran the 20 miles, and then at the end I realized, you know what? On training day... Because I did what I needed to do, I would be able to make it. I would be able to make it. And there's a lot of things like that in life that what we discover is we hear lots of things and we have lots of suggestions, but if we don't do the things that we know we're supposed to do, then we lose out. We lose out. If you go to our financial peace workshop and you learn about budgeting your money and, and, and how to set aside an emergency fund and three to six months funds, you learn how to do, uh, pay down your debt, and you learn all those things, but you never do anything with it, you've wasted your time. If in your job you're told, you know, you should take this training and you go and sit and listen and you learn how to do your skill or your trade or your, um, your career a little bit better, but you never put that into practice, you never do anything with it, What's the point? If you go to a marriage conferences or workshops or listen to stuff on marriage, but you never implement those things in your life or relationship, when your marriage hits rocky waters, you're going to be faced with a pretty tough time. And so this morning we're going to talk, we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about those who listen versus those who do what God says to do and the results that show up in their lives. If you weren't here with us in that series, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous message. He preached this message um, in the early part of his ministry when he was here on the earth, and he began that message with this phrase that we talked about, and the phrase was, repent for the kingdom of God, does anybody remember, is what? Near, is near. And the word repent is somewhat odd because he's talking to Jewish people, he's talking to religious people. 
And the idea of repent means you're going a certain way and Jesus says, no, you need to turn and go this way. And they're scratching their heads thinking, well, wait a minute, we're just good Jews. We do what the law says and we do everything we're supposed to. Why do we need to go a different way? And Jesus began to expose them to a different way of living, a way that was not about rules, but a way that was connected to a relationship first and foremost with God and then a relationship with one another that was radically different than what they were experiencing in the culture and in the day. Towards the end of this message, he gives them some choices. And he says, you're going to have some choices to make. He says, there's a wide gate that everybody goes through. You may remember that when we were over at Reamstown, a wide gate that everybody goes through. It's kind of obvious. This is where you walk. Everybody's going through that gate. And then there's a little tiny narrow gate that you might not even notice. But it's there. And it's a little inconvenient. It's a little hard to get to. The wide gate looks like the best option, but that road leads to destruction. Whereas the narrow gate leads, as Jesus says, to life. He then talks about two kinds of trees and good trees and bad trees, and they produce certain kinds of fruit. And we ask ourselves, what kind of fruit am I producing in my life? He then talks about two kinds of followers, those that follow Jesus and they, they do all the right things and say all the right things, but on the final day when they stand before Jesus, Jesus looks at them and says, I, I don't know who you are. And another group of followers who the Bible says, they do the will of the Father. And that's what their life is all about. And so Jesus has two more options for us today as he closes this Sermon on the Mount. And those individuals are those who listen and those who listen and act. If you're here this morning and maybe you're checking out faith or checking out Christianity, and you may have observed that there's two different responses that people of faith have when they go through hard times. You might have observed someone who claims to be a person of faith and they go through a very difficult time and, and you're kind of scratching your head thinking, I don't even know how you're even functioning and even vertical today. And their faith might be the reason you're sitting here listening this morning. There's others who you see them, they go to church, they claim to be Christians, they try to do the Christian thing, and, and yet when life comes down on top of them, they just crumble. And God's not even on the, on the radar. And today Jesus is going to explain how this happens. If you are a Christ follower today, he's going to give you a clear roadmap on how to deal with the tough things that will come in life, and they will come. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, um, we're going to finish up this section on the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. If you don't have a Bible, our guys have some that they're passing out, and I would love to have you grab one of those and follow along with us this morning. If not, the verses will be on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. And as you're finding that out, let me read this to you. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and fell with a great crash. If you went to church when you were a little kid, likely you sang this song about this passage. You know, the rains came down and the floods came up 
And the house on the rock stood what? Firm. You know, we sang that song as kids if you went to church, you know. And it sounds like kind of a fun little song and everybody likes singing. There's hand motions to it, you know. But I think this morning as we look at this passage, I, I hope that you walk away with the sense that Jesus in his final words to those who are listening really draws a line figuratively in the sand. And he doesn't end with a fun little ditty that they can remember in their heads, but he ends with a challenge that calls them to decide what they're going to do with Jesus. He's really talking about two groups of people. And they have one thing in common. They're all sitting there listening to him. They're listening. Jesus is not talking about people who don't care about him. People who aren't sure about him, who are outside, who I don't really I don't have time for the God thing or the church thing. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the people who are sitting here listening. And he could be talking to all of us today. He's speaking to people who come to church on a regular basis. Maybe they go to a small group. Maybe they read their Bible. He's talking to them. Because the truth is, he knows whether someone's faith is real or not. You don't, and I know. I can't tell if someone's faith is genuine. I can't tell if it's real or fake. I can't tell what's going on inside their hearts. But he knows. And in this passage, he points to a comparison of two groups of people who both hear what he has to say. Look at the first one in verse 24. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He said he's like a wise man. He's comparing him to someone, to a wise man. And to understand wisdom, you have to go to the book of Proverbs, with Solomon, which Solomon wrote, the wisest man who ever lived. And, and wisdom is literally the ability to practically apply God's truth to everyday life. A wise person, I describe a wise person as someone who gets life and gets God and they bring those two things together. There's some people that get life, but God's not in the radar picture. There's some people that get God, but they don't really have a clue what real life is like. But a wise person is someone who understands both of those things. They understand the struggles of this life, the confusion of life, the heartaches of life. And it's not necessarily someone who has answers. Wisdom doesn't equal smarts. There's a lot of smart people that are not wise. But is able to guide and discover you, guide you through a situation to say, let's talk about what's going on in your life. Is there anything true about God that's true about your life right now? And where do those things come together? If you read through the book of Proverbs, one of the things Solomon, his approach to life was, he would often say, let me tell you what will happen down there if you keep on this path. This is where you will end up. If you want to end up over here and you're on this path, you're never going to get from here to there. You have to change the course of your life. And so he's talking about someone who's a wise person. And he says, this person built his house on the rock. And look what happens in verse 24. He says, rain, streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
Jesus might have been thinking about the town that he grew up in, the town of Nazareth. It was built up on the hillside on solid rock. As a carpenter, he knew what building things that would last. He knew how to do that. Not things that are made of pressed board that you push against them and they crumble and they fall apart, but things that are going to last. Jesus also knew how quickly the storms in the Sea of Galilee would come up as his followers, some of them were fishermen, and he would have experiences with them in just a very short time of being out on the water with them. But he wasn't really talking about a storm, was he? No. A storm was a picture of what comes into our lives. That's what the storm was all about. In Psalm 69, David says this. He says, Save me, O God, for waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there's no foothold. I've come to the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Jesus is talking about those moments in our lives when you feel like life is like right here and you don't know how much further you can keep your head above water. Jesus is talking about those times when you have said or are saying, I don't know if I can take any more. This is more than I can handle. I don't know if I or if we will survive. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he's talking about those moments in time when life comes to a crossroads, when life comes to a crisis, when we are not sure if we are going to make it. He says, the people who have heard what I had to say and put that into practice, they did what God wants them to do. They're going to make it through the storm. It might not feel like in the middle of the storm. And you might not know how you're going to make it. But he said the only way you can put a foundation in your life that is going to stand through the storms of this life is if you are doing what Jesus says for you to do. They didn't have radar. They didn't have all of those things. When do we know a storm's going to come? What do you look up in the sky and look at? What? Clouds, right? But how often have we been out and we did not see the clouds coming where? Behind us. And then the storm hits. Sometimes we know trouble's coming, right? You've made a bad choice, bad decision. You're like, oh no, oh here, I can't believe. Right? You can see it coming. Other times, you don't see it. You don't see that doctor's report coming. You don't see that person walking out the door and saying, I don't love you anymore, coming. You don't see tragedy coming. And Jesus says the only way you're going to make it through these storms is if you make choices now while you have this opportunity to not just listen, but do what I have just told you to do. He goes on in verse 26 to begin with to have a contrast. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Same thing, they listen just like the wise man. They're both listening, just like everyone here. They're listening. Um, 
Unless you're sleeping with your eyes closed out there, you know, you're listening. Maybe subconsciously it's sinking in, you know. Um, but what's the difference? They don't put them into practice. They don't put them into practice. Why doesn't someone put them into practice? You're all sitting here in the same, why don't you put them into practice? Well, you might say, well, John, I was just too busy. I didn't have time to put it into practice. You know, John, that was really hard. I, I, it's just too hard for me. I'm kind of confused. I can't quite figure it out. You know, it's a little too restrictive. I'm kind of a free spirit. That's too restrictive. That takes too much discipline. John, that's just too hard. It's too painful. I, I can't sit in that sadness and sorrow. I don't want to stay there. It's too expensive. I don't want to pay the price. How often, have, how often do we say that about lots of things in life? From budgeting our money to not exercise and not take care of your health to not dealing with our past to not resolving conflict to not breaking bad habits to not doing what Jesus has said, this is what I want you to do. You see, we pass it off and say, ah, just too busy, not enough time. This is, it's, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. But the storms are going to come. And look how Jesus describes this person in this verse 6. He doesn't say, that's just, verse, uh, we back to verse 26 there, Lenta, I'm sorry. Um, he doesn't just say, well, that's just someone who makes, uh, they're not, they don't make good decisions, they're not, they don't really have it all together. Look how he describes them. He says, that person is like a what? Is like a what? Foolish man. I don't think there's a person in this room that wants to be described as a fool. Not a person. Again, going back to Proverbs, which talks about a fool. Talks about a why, wisdom and, and folly. What's a fool? A fool is a person who sits in their recliner and says, you know what, everything's just going to be okay. And the house is burning down around them. That's what a fool does. A fool is someone who's deeply in debt and the creditors are calling. They're like, everything is going to be okay. A fool is one who, when their kids are preschoolers and they run circles around them and disregard what they say, oh, they're just kids. Everything is going to be okay. A fool is someone who was here worshiping with us, but they're busy with their kids' activities and sports and camping and all kinds of other things. And hey, we really miss you. Everything, it's going to be okay. Fool is one whose spouse uses sarcasm towards them or criticism because of unresolved conflict, and they're like, oh, they're just laughing at it. Everything is going to be okay. A fool is someone when you say, I don't know if you realize that this is something that you do all the time, and it's really harmful in our relation. Ah, you're making a big deal out of making a mountain out of molehill. Everything is going to be okay. What does a fool do? In the text, it says a fool builds his house on the sand. You know, in the ancient Near East, around the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus might have been teaching, it's in the Middle East. It's hot. It's a desert. And when the sun is really, really hot on sand, you know what? That sand gets hard. It gets compacted. 
But the problem is, is that underneath of that sand, the condition of the sand, it's called alluvial, which means the sand is loose and it's not consolidated or tightly connected. And a wise builder, when he's building a house on sand, he would dig below that surface to 10, 12 feet deep till he hit the bedrock and he had something solid. Because a wise builder would know that when the winter rains come, the Jordan River that flows through the land of the Middle East, that that Jordan River would rise. And as the Jordan River would rise, it would spill out over its banks and pour into the Sea of Galilee. And then the sea would start to rise back and instantly wash away everything that was on this sand. Jesus' audience would have known that. They were like, of course, what, what idiot builds a house in the sand? Who would do that, you know? Why would anybody do that? That doesn't make any sense. I think what Jesus might have been pointing to is he might have been pointing to the religious establishment, the Pharisees. Good religious people. Good rule followers. They were good at keeping the rules of doing what they were supposed to do. And what Jesus said is if you live your life the way they live their lives with a faith based on rules and obligation, when the storms of life crash down on you, your faith is going to crumble. Eventually its instability would be exposed as not having the deepest answers to the needs of people. One of the most agonizing things about my job is that I interact with people who at one time sat where you sit, listen to what you're listening to, and the storms of life crash down on them, and they bailed on God and they bailed on their faith. And I thought to myself, why is that? Why is that? I think they were doing the things they were doing for what they could get out of it. They believed that going to church and participating in church and activities would insulate them from the storms of life. They believed that it would keep their kids from struggling with them and with their own faith. They believed it would keep their marriage from being on the rocks or keep them from losing a job or cancer or keep a career or keep them from getting cancer. And when those storms came... And their lives had not been about doing what Jesus called them to do. Not to perform, not to get something from Him. But because of a devoted heart love for Him, there was nothing at the foundation of their lives. This is not a new message, but it was one for the religious community to hear. That faith is not about rules and regulations. Faith is not about have to do, have tos. Faith should grow out of an, an overwhelming sense of God's love for me that fills my life so full of His love that I just want to give my life to Him and want to pour my life out to serve and make a difference in the lives of others. In James 1.22, James says this. He says, don't merely listen to the Word. And so deceive yourselves. If you think just being here is going to give you what you need to make it through the storms of life, you are deceiving yourself. I'm glad that you are here. And I hope you take something that you hear this morning and you take a step forward in following Jesus.
James says, do what it says. In 1 John 1.6 it says, if we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. We don't live out the truth. In 1 John 2.4 it says, whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. Jesus is not offering just a little ditty for you to remember when you go home. He's talking about some serious stuff here. A serious choice that's in front of you, that's a line drawn in the sand where you are going to have to decide what is my life going to be about? Am I just going to show up here because mom and dad tell me I should and i got to be here? And when they don't tell me I have to be here or no one's telling me I have to be here, then I'm not going to be here. I hate to tell you this, but when the storms of life come, your life is going to crash. Jesus is not just trying to give a set of rules for each of us to follow. He's inviting us into a relationship. It's about Him being at the center of our lives, the one that we love most and are more devoted to than anything else. And out of that comes this whole series of actions in our lives that He talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Out of that comes a love for our enemies. Out of that comes avoiding hypocrisy. Out of that comes praying authentically. Out of that comes giving generously. Out of that comes treasuring what, ma- what lasts forever. Out of that comes dealing with anxiety and putting our confidence and our trust in Him. Out of that is God being the master of my life and not my stuff. Out of that is a life consumed with Jesus, seeking to imitate and live for Him more than anything else that matters say John I don't know what God wants me to do today and I would invite you to read through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount go back and read through that this week read it over a few different times if you find sections that are not clear you're not sure what he's talking about just go online and listen to the messages and I'll help you reconnect with that But I have a sense that the majority of this room has some level of awareness of something God wants you to do and you've been holding out on Him. You've been too busy, too distracted, too consumed, too preoccupied. It's too hard. You just don't want to go there. By not doing what you know He wants you to do, You are putting your life at risk when the storms come. That's the message He wants you to walk away with this morning. Don't just be hearers. Don't just be people that simply listen and walk away and don't do anything about it. if you know what it is that God is calling you to do, the question is, will you do it? Will you do it? The question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's talking about building a foundation. 
And look what he says at the very end of this verse. He says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. As I thought about the implications of the cross that we celebrated earlier, the only foundation you can put your life on that will last is a relationship with Jesus. You might be smart and intelligent. You might be able to earn a great living. You might be charming and engaging. And all of those things will lead you to things that could make your life meaningful. But at the end of the day, you have to decide, what is the foundation of my life? Is it me? Or is it Jesus? And that choice is in front of you today. you bow your heads with me and I just want to invite you to talk to God for a few minutes if you know what he wants you to do it's really about you saying God I'm willing to do it and I want you to wrestle with him if you don't know what what he wants you to do it's just to ask for direction and if Jesus is not the foundation of your life maybe today you just say Jesus, I'm tired of me being at the foundation. I want you to be there. God, this morning we've looked at a very strong challenge. Painful reality that Jesus paints of being identified as a fool and of losing everything when the storms of life come. God, I I don't think people who are here want to end up like that. My heart and my prayer is that we would not just be people who listen, but we would be people that do. Not someone's set of rules, not to make someone else happy with us, not because we know we should, God, we would do what you want us to do. What your Spirit is leading and prompting and tugging and nudging. Maybe good friends have said, you really need to do this. God, help us to be men and women and students who, who live our lives with Jesus at the foundation, doing what he invites us to do. Help us, God, to do that.
So we can't do that on our own. We need you. In your name, amen.